Growing up, I always enjoyed a good roller coaster. Uh, I grew up in West Virginia, and so there were a couple of summers when we would make the long trek to Cincinnati and go to Kings Island. And even when I was a little one, uh, the, the ride, the beast, was around. So it's been around a while. And, uh, man, that was the ride. And then I even remember the summer when the Vortex opened. I don't even know if the Vortex is still around Kings Island, but when that was just so exciting to be able to ride on the Vortex the, for the first time. And then we moved to Georgia, uh, and once we moved to Georgia, the place to go there was in Atlanta. It was Six Flags over Georgia. And now that's the amusement park I, I've been to the most. I've ridden those roller coasters there over and over again. Um, <clears throat> I just want to tell you a story about riding one of the roller coasters one day. Uh, several of us, my senior year in high school, we had a senior skip day. I, I think we just made it. I don't think it was an official skip day, but we just decided a bunch of us seniors uh, skipped, and we went down to Six Flags. And so we just had the best day at Six Flags, and one of the roller coasters there was called the Georgia Cyclone. Um, and back then, this was kind of a cool thing. I think everything has this now, but it was the first uh, roller coaster at that amusement park where it had a camera that took your picture. Like, you know, at some point along the ride, you knew that your picture was getting taken, and then at the end of it, you could pick one up, you know, and that was really cool. So uh, I, I knew this was coming, and I kinda, I'd been on it enough where I knew where the camera was, and this was my go-to move. Now, some of y'all might have different go-to moves when you know somebody's getting ready to take your picture on a roller coaster, but this is mine. I do this number, little number right here, like that. That's just kind of my go-to, and so... Uh, there was a group of us, and it, I, there was this girl that I was kind of sweet on at the time, and uh, she sat next to me on this roller coaster, and so here we head off on the Georgia Cyclone, and here I knew the camera was coming, and so I do this right here. Well, when I do this, I just clock her right in the face. I mean, just boom, right in the face as I come up like this. And so this picture, I don't have this picture anymore, but it was a great picture that I had in my bedroom for the longest time. It's here I'm looking like an idiot doing this, and she's just yelling at me. She's just so mad that I just hit her right in the face. I, she didn't talk to me the rest of the day. Um, but I had another picture, speaking of pictures, and I want to share with you. This was a picture taken on August 1st, 2018. Uh, now, this past week, I celebrated my 51st birthday, so I was 45 years old in this picture, and I share this with you because it marked the day when I decided I didn't like roller coasters anymore. Maybe you have found that. Maybe you older adults have come to that same conclusion, but this marked the day that I decided I didn't like roller coasters anymore. This is the last one I've ever ridden on. This was the Incredible Hulk. Of course, I rode it with the kids. Uh, this is down at Universal Studios, um, and of course, the kids wanted to be in the very front of the thing, and it was miserable. It was terrible. We finished, and the kids were like, let's do it again, and I was like, I've got to sit down. <laughs> um, so they got back in line, and I found a bench uh, and didn't move for about 30 minutes until my world stopped going up and down. 
But you know, I think a roller coaster serves as a good analogy for our lives. Um, because if you, if you live enough life, then you experience both ups and downs. You live through highs and lows. And there's twists and turns. And sometimes life makes you scream, let's do it again. And other times life makes you sit down on a bench for a while. And part of what makes roller coasters such an incredible ride are the contrasts. There's the tall, tall hills, and then there's the huge drops. And whether you like roller coasters or not, you have to appreciate the contrasts that make the best roller coaster, uh, you know, such a great ride that it'll present just in a single ride. Well, when we open up here to Psalm 30, you can't read this psalm without noticing the contrasts. There are at least 12 contrasts that are made in this psalm. It's a great little kind of word study. You can sit down and just really meditate upon this psalm and notice all the different contrasts that are presented in this psalm. There's at least 12 that I found. And as you read it, it's kind of like you're on a roller coaster because there are ups and there's downs. There's highs and there's lows. There's twists and there's turns. And I think Psalm 30 is very relatable because it sounds a lot like our lives. You know, one author puts it this way, our, our, our autobiographies cannot be written without emphasizing the extremities, for that's the nature of life. In other words, without talking about the highs and without emphasizing the lows. You know, if you haven't already heard, um, it's going to be really cold this week. I mean, like real cold. It's not supposed to get above freezing again till next Monday. Um, that's cold. You know, I actually do pretty well in the cold as long as, and this is key for me, as long as I focus on my extremities. Uh, if my bald head is warm and I've got like a really nice pair of warm socks, then I'm good. Toboggan, heavy pair of socks, bring it on. And similarly, I think we can better understand our lives by dealing with our extremities, by talking about the highs and by emphasizing the lows, by discussing the good and the bad, by recognizing that we all live through ups and downs. Several years ago, I was moved, I believe, by the Holy Spirit um, personally, to spend more time in the Psalms. I recognized that I, I needed help praying. Um, and the Lord has given us this great prayer book right here in the center of the Bible to help us to learn how to pray. I've heard it said that the other 65 books of the Bible are God's words to us, but the Psalms are actually our words to God. And so, at the beginning of every calendar year, I decided uh, to begin our year as a church, preaching through the Psalms. And I started with Psalm 1, 
And here we are this morning in Psalm 30. And if you, if you stick around here long enough, then we're going to make it through all 150 of these. But how do we, how do we deal with all the ups and downs of life? How do we make sense of all the highs and the lows? And how are we to understand the contrast between the two? How do we remain faithful when our lives at times seems like a roller coaster? Psalm 30. The words of this psalm um, have, have really ministered to me this week, and I pray that they minister to you as well. What I'm going to do this morning, the outline of my lesson is very simple. I want to just suggest to you four ways for us to make sense of the highs and the lows of our lives. Four ways to think about the extremes. Four ways to look at and understand the contrast of our lives. All the ways I'm going to suggest to you this morning are helpful, but there's only one way that will change you, and we'll get there at the end. But let me first begin by looking at the other three. The first one, I think, is a very important life lesson. Everyone needs to know this if you don't already. It's part of learning how to live in this world 101. Here it is. This is the first one. In our lives, good occurs with bad. The good occurs with the bad. That's number one. An old preacher I knew down in Georgia used to say, I beg your pardon, but God never promised you a rose garden. John 16, Jesus is very clear with his disciples. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't pull any punches. He doesn't sugarcoat it. If you live long enough, you will experience trouble. You will become well-versed with suffering. You will be familiar with sorrow. Listen, if you signed up as a follower of Jesus thinking it would mean that you would never experience anything hard or difficult in your life, then let me be clear. In this life, the good occurs with the bad. Get ready, there's going to be a bunch of both, whether you're a disciple of Jesus or not. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be loss. Death is the respecter of no person. Let me see if I can put it in a way that will make sense to us here in Kentucky. For every victory over UNC Chapel Hill, there's going to be a loss to UNC Wilmington. That's life. The good occurs with the bad. And if Psalm 30 teaches us anything, it's that life is not just all good. It's not just a series of highs. It's not just one good thing after another. It's not just one continual mountaintop experience. We experience lows in this life. We experience 
hard in this life. And that's not a reflection on the character of God. That's a description of a life in a beautiful but broken world. You know, through the years, people like to ask the question, why do bad things happen to good people? And I think there's a simple answer to that question. It's because bad things happen to all people. One could just as easily flip the question and ask, why do good things happen to bad people? And I think the answer to that question is the same. It's just as simple. It's because good things happen to all people. You see, the good occurs with the bad. It's not a reflection on the character of God. It's a description of life in a beautiful but broken world. Listen to the words in Psalm 30 that David uses to describe what he's going through in his life. This man after God's own heart. Listen to the way that he describes his life. This is the NIV 84. Three words I want to point out to you. In verse 1, he writes, I will exalt you, O Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You see, David has experienced the depths of this life. Life has not been one big mountaintop experience for him. In fact, the imagery here in verse 1 is very powerful. It's that of pulling a drowning person out of the water. You see, David's been in a place in life where he's felt like he's drowning. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like you're drowning? You ever felt like you can barely keep your head above water? That's what David's feeling like here. Then in verse 7, he writes, but when you hid your face, I was dismayed. Other, other words here that can be used is, I was depressed. I was downcast. I, I didn't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. Have you ever felt like that before? David has. He's been there. Lastly, in verse 9, he says, what gain is there in my destruction? Now, this is a very strong word, but David here, he feels like life is destroying him. He feels like life is completely and utterly undoing him. He feels like life is trying to take him out. And so there's depths, and there, he's dismayed, and there's destruction. And this is how David, in this psalm, describes his life. You see, the good occurs with the bad. And I hope that's a hopeful message to you, a helpful one. If you're going through something very hard, if you're experiencing a difficulty of some kind, God's not picking on you. It's part of participating in life on this planet. We all experience good with the bad. But here in Psalm 30, we find something more than just that. It's more than just the good curves with the bad. And this brings me to the second 
way of thinking about the ups and downs of our life. It's this. It's that the good outweighs the bad. So that's the second way. The first way is that good occurs with the bad. The second is that good outweighs the bad. Growing up, um, we used to spend most of our Thanksgiving in Nashville, Tennessee. My mom is from there. We'd gather with her side of the family at her mom's house on Thanksgiving Day. And Grandma Thurman, um, she had this sign up in her kitchen. And I remember reading it as a kid, not being real sure what it meant. But I thought about it a time or two this week as I've prepared for this lesson. Here's what it said, the sign in her kitchen. It said, a moment on the lips, a lifetime on the hips. I don't know if you've ever seen that or had that sign up. Maybe at Cracker Barrel. It's probably where she got it. Now, I suppose, I suppose that sign served as a visual warning for her to watch what she ate. But the point of the moment versus lifetime language is that a lifetime far outweighs a moment. If you, put, if you were to put the two on a scale... Or the two on a balance. A lifetime far outweighs a moment. And this is the second way to think about our ups and downs. The good far outweighs the bad. It's not just that the good occurs with the bad, but the good outweighs the bad. Listen to what David writes in verses 4 and 5. He says, sing to the Lord, you saints of his... Praise his holy name, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. You see, here, David is making a statement about the character of God. And do you hear what he's saying about God's character? He's saying, however you think about God, whatever your picture is that comes to your mind when you meditate on who God is and his character, know this. God's anger is always appropriate, but his favor is forever. God's anger is always appropriate, but his favor is forever. God has every right to be angry because of our sin. He's holy. He's righteous. His anger is the appropriate response to sin, but his favor is is forever. His love for you, his concern for your well-being, his compassion for his children, his blessing for his people, his favor far outweighs his anger. So whatever picture of God you have, who you know God to be, his favor must outweigh his anger. That's what David's saying here. And the same principle relates to how we understand the ups and downs, the highs and lows of our lives. If we're able to take a step back, if we're able to see the forest instead of the trees, then we'll notice in our own lives that the good far outweighs the bad. That the bad in our life is like a moment, but the good in our life is like a lifetime. Most of you uh, know about my dad's situation, and I, I appreciate so much the prayers and the concern for him and my mom. Tomorrow, uh, I'm going over to, to help 
Uh, my mom transport dad uh, from the hospital to a long-term care facility in LaGrange. And, you know, it's not, it's not what any of us want from my dad, um, but it's where we are. And, you know, since the discovery of this brain infection back on October the 24th, it's been a tough road for my parents. Um, my dad has suffered quite a bit. And I was talking about it with my mom this past week, and it's hard to talk about it just because it's so fresh. But if you're able, if you're able to take a step back where you can see the moment against the backdrop of a lifetime, then the blessing of Dad's lifetime far outweighs the suffering of this moment. And that's a helpful word. The good outweighs the bad. That's the second way. Now there's a third way to think about the highs and lows in our life. It's not just that the good occurs with the bad or that the good outweighs the bad. The third way is that there's good that originates from the bad. There's good that originates from the bad. There's good that we would not know if not for the bad. There are good qualities like endurance and patience and perseverance and toughness and strength of character and hope and empathy and compassion All of these are incredibly good qualities in us that are only born out of hard situations. That that, that only originate out of the bad situations that we experience. And without the bad, we would not know the good. This is why Paul could say in Romans 5 that we rejoice in our suffering. Well, how can one possibly find joy in suffering? Because and only because we know that suffering produces good. That's the only reason. Perseverance. Perseverance character and character hope. You see, there's a kind of good that originates from the bad, and therefore we can rejoice. I am um, I'm coaching basketball this season. Uh, it's a team called Bluegrass United. You've heard me talk about it. My daughter's homeschool basketball team, and we're having a we're having a pretty good season. Uh, we're 15 and five. And so uh, we have 15 wins and five, not losses. I tell the girls that the L doesn't stand for loss. Instead, the L stands for learning experience. So we have 15 wins and five learning experiences. Now, that's corny. But that perspective simply comes from the thinking that something good can come from something bad. 
We can learn something from that bad game that can help us to win the next game. You know, at the end of verse 5 in Psalm 30, David writes, Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Do you hear what David's saying? He's saying it's only those who have experienced a night of weeping who can know the kind of joy, who can know the kind of relief, who can know the kind of renewal that comes with a new day. In other words, those who are unable to sleep due to their sorrow have a much greater appreciation for the rising of the sun than those who've been asleep all night with no care in the world. It's a great word picture. Literally, weeping is personified here as one who comes and spends the night with us. Have you ever been going through something so difficult that it was like you were having a sleepover with weeping? It's only those who have experienced that kind of weeping, who know and who appreciate the joy and the renewal that comes with the morning. You see, as hard and as difficult as it is, there is a kind of good that originates from the bad. And that's the third way. Good occurs with the bad. Good outweighs bad. Good originates from bad. And I hope, I hope you see all three of these can be helpful ways to think about the ups and downs of our lives. But there's one way that's far greater than any of these. The first three are helpful. I pray they have encouraged you this morning as you try to navigate the ups and downs of your life. But this final way will not just help you, it will change you. And again, it's not, it's not that the good occurs with the bad. That, that's, that's helpful, but that doesn't change you. Or that good, the good outweighs the bad. That's helpful, but that doesn't change you. Or even that there's good that originates from the bad. That's helpful, but that, that won't change you. Here it is. The way that will change you as you attempt to navigate the ups and downs of your life is this. Good overcomes bad. Good overcomes bad. David writes in verse 11, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothe me with joy. David uses these two very powerful images to describe the kind of complete transformation that has occurred in his life in this kind of change from wailing to dancing. Do you see the, the complete transformation that happens there? How he goes from one extreme, one full body experience on one side to the full body experience on the other side from wailing to dancing. 
from sorrow to joy. This kind of change can only happen in his life because he knows the one who overcomes the bad. That kind of transformation, that kind of change can only come through knowing the one who overcomes the bad. Notice the action verbs that he uses here in verse 11. They all point to someone. They all point to a person. They don't point to kind of a way of thinking or a certain perspective that you're supposed to have. That's not what they point to. They point to a person. He writes, you turned, you removed, and you clothed. Church, it's our message. It's the good news of the gospel. The one who is good overcomes all that is bad. That's the gospel. The one who is good overcomes all that is bad. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ overcomes every sin. Jesus Christ overcomes all evil. Jesus Christ overcomes sorrow and suffering. Jesus Christ even overcomes death. The one who is good overcomes all that is bad. Yesterday, um, my dad had several from the Westport Road Church come and visit him in his hospital room, and uh, mom sent us a little video. Dad, always, always the pastor, um, sharing some words of encouragement to these people who had traveled to his hospital room to encourage him. And here's what he shared with these people from his hospital bed. He said, my... He said, my conclusion is this. For 82 years, I've been close to him, and he's been close to me. And he's never left me, and I sure ain't going to leave him. Whatever this life brings, we'll deal with it. See, my dad shows us the way. Stay close to Jesus. Trust him. Lean into him. Hold on to him. The one who died on the cross on Friday rose from the dead on Sunday. In his empty tomb proclaims to all of us who will listen that good overcomes bad. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. 
We thank you that the good news of the gospel is that the one who is good overcomes all that is bad. And we know him. His name is Jesus. We are thankful that he has overcome every sin. We are thankful that he has overcome all evil. We are thankful that he has overcome sorrow and suffering and that he's even overcome death. So may we stay close to him. May we trust in him. May we hold on to him this week as we navigate the ups and downs of our lives. I pray all this in his name. Amen. This morning, if you'd like to respond to this gospel message, I just want to offer that invitation to you. Come and put your faith in Jesus Christ. We would love to baptize you, for you to turn from your sin, to put Christ on in baptism, to receive his Holy Spirit, to live uh, a new life uh, with him today. We'd love to be a part of that in your life. Please come as we stand together and sing. Be still, my soul.